Well, good evening. How you guys doing? Good. Awesome. Um, love the energy. Great. Well, uh, here at uh, Northwood Young Adults, we believe in having open doors and open hearts. And so I hope that when you walked in tonight that you felt comfortable and invited. And I also hope that you came with an open heart because you are wanted and welcomed here. And so we're glad you're here. And uh, tonight we're continuing our series, Tell Me About It. Uh, this is week two, and we are talking about sharing our faith and how that can be really difficult at times. But while being difficult, it is a massive call that's been put on our lives as Christians. And, uh, and I said this last week, and, and I'll say it again, continue to say this throughout this month, but one message this month is going to shift your perspective and change your life forever. And that's not my guarantee, that's God's. And, and I, don't, I don't say that lightly. When we as believers have our eyes opened once again to the call of the Great Commission and we obey, our lives are never going to look the same. And um, last week we talked about how sharing our, our faith, how it's a, an act of obedience. And uh, so if you missed that, you can always go back and listen to it uh, on the podcast. And so I would encourage you to do that. But uh, Emily and I, we have a one-year-old son. And some of you, some of you know him, and uh, he's the best, okay? He's great. And now that he is not just walking, but running and, and talking, and he's kind of becoming his own little person and had his, his own little personality, uh, he keeps us on our toes, okay? And I don't know if you've noticed this, but little kids love running into the street, okay? Why is that, right? Like, we get Sammy out of the car, we put him on the ground, and he's like, to the street, right? Like, I'm walking to the street, and we have to come over there and, like, pull him back, you know, back into the yard, and then he's off again to the street, and you pull him back, right? Like, for some reason, like, there's this, like, gravitational pull, right, coming from the street to little kids, right? It's like science will never be able to explain why that happens, okay? It doesn't make any sense. Um, but, like, the thing is, is that when we get him into the yard, and we get him inside, and he realizes that he will not be able to go into the street, he loses his mind. He loses his mind. He thinks we're the worst people ever, and it's not that we're the worst people. It's that the street is a dangerous place to be for a one-year-old, right? And it's not because we are mean. It's not because we don't care about him. It's actually the opposite, right? We're doing that as an act of love, an act of, uh, it's because we care about him, right? And so it's, it's for his safety. Well, tonight as we continue this series, we're going to talk about how sharing our faith is an act of love and how we believe and how if we believe that the gospel is true, for everyone. Remember, we talked about that last week. Man, is the gospel true for me, or is it true, period? Because if we answer that question that it is, it is true, period, then, man, that affects the way we share our faith. Well, if the gospel is true for everyone, that, and we believe that, that, that we are eternal souls, right, that we'll either spend eternity in heaven, a real heaven, or a real hell, that, that sharing our faith isn't an effort to bother someone or take away their fun, but instead an act of love that, that pulls them out of the street. And doing that is initiated by love, initiated by God himself, right? He was the first one to love the lost. He loved us. And, and you know, it's the, this is the, you know, I want to read a verse to you tonight. It's the most popular verse of all time, okay? You guys ready for this? I don't want you to look past it because it's cliche, all right? But this is John 3.16. Can we read this together? Okay, let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so God loved you so much that he gave his only son for you to spiritually pull you out of the street into a relationship with him and into eternal life. And so tonight, we're going to unpack this verse, and we're going to see what it looks like to love the lost as God 
does. And we're going to see how sharing our faith is the most loving thing that we can do for someone. So if you would, pray with me, and then we're going to jump into this. God, I thank you so much for, for tonight. God, I thank you for a great time of, of getting to eat some pizza and hang out together and then getting to, to worship you, God. As we continue to hear from your word, God, I pray that you speak to us. And God, that tonight this message would resonate in our souls, God, that we would walk out of here completely different, walk out of here with a new perspective, and uh, God, that we would honor you tonight and glorify you. In Jesus' name, we all said together, amen. Awesome. All right, let's read the first part of that one more time. For God so loved the world. Okay, now listen. I am not ignorant to the fact that you guys have probably heard that statement a thousand times if you've been around church, right? But what I want to do for you tonight is paint the picture of why that statement that for God so loved the world is as profound as it is. And in order to do that, we first have to be reminded of who God is. Because if our view of God weakens, then the way that we read that verse weakens. The power behind that verse weakens. Right, so let's just, let's just have a, a reminder really quick, right? God is the one who created the universe and all that is in it, who has more power than we could ever imagine, who has authority over all creation, who exists outside of time, who before the foundations of the earth had a plan for our redemption, who reigns supreme over every earthly thing and person, and who will continue to reign in eternity, who is perfect and holy and has simultaneously righteous wrath and perfect love. This God, so loved, The world, and the world meaning people, you and I, people that are polar opposites with everything I just said about God, right? We're we're not powerful. We're weak, right? We don't exist outside of time. We're bound by time. We're not the ones redeeming. We're the ones in need to be redeemed. We're in, in need of that. We're not perfect and holy. We're sinful. We're rebellious. We're unworthy, and yet God chooses to love us despite our sin, despite our weakness, and despite our rebellion. And God doesn't love us because we're valuable people, right? We're all we are is lousy sinners in need of a Savior. We're valuable because God loves us. And that statement is profound and radical because it makes no sense that someone like God could love people like us. When Jesus said this, it, it stretched the minds of the disciples that he was talking to because up until that time, God made it clear that the Israelites were his people. He was like, hey, man, the Hebrews, they're my, they're my people, and, and I'm going to be their God. And so to hear him say, to hear Jesus say the world, that for, for God so loved the world, it stretched and expanded their view of God and who he was. And how his love wasn't contained to the Hebrews, but instead it reached all people. I saw this this tweet the other day from an, uh, an account that centers around atheism, okay? And this is what the tweet said. And this was an attempt to take a shot at Christianity. I'm just going to read it to you. This is what it said. Christianity, belief that one God created a universe 93 billion light years in diameter, consisting over 200 billion galaxies, each containing an average of two, 200 billion stars, only to have a personal relationship with you. And like I said, that was supposed to be like a shot at Christianity. When I read that, I thought, yeah, that's exactly right. It is as mind-blowing as it sounds. And so the question is, what does it mean for us once we hear this, to hear that someone like God loves a place like the world? How does that impact the way that we see the lost or we see unbelievers? Right? God and man could not be more different. 
God and man are at odds with one another. Scripture says that God and man are, are enemies with one another. God and man do not think the same way or operate the same way, and yet God loves man. And so with that said, if God, who has every right to not love us, chooses to anyway, doesn't it seem obvious that we should love our neighbor? All right, if someone like God can love a place like the world, then we can love others. Even though they may not think like us or act like us or even though they may think different things about religion or politics, we are called to love despite everything because we've been loved despite everything. And 1 John 4 says that we love because he first loved us and that love is what initiates everything. And this love that God had, what it led him to, led him to do is what we see next. So So it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So we see that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so his love for the world led him to sacrifice. His love wasn't weak, and so his gift wasn't either. He loves us so much that he gave us not a, a light gift, but the ultimate gift. And so this was an act of selflessness and and generosity, and because it was given. It shows that we didn't earn it. And God's love for us cost him everything. And to think this God that we, that we taught, you know, the way that we described him earlier is this God who exists outside of time, who loves and redeems and is, is so powerful and created everything. That same God, to think that he came to earth as a man to live a life and that we couldn't live and die a death in our place, that's costly. And that's exactly what love leads you to do. And so for us, what is our love for the lost costing us? What are we willing for it to cost us? You know, if we believe in in heaven and hell and the eternal fate of human souls, then what could be the limit to that cost? And that's why Jesus, you know, that's why he asked for our lives, right? Not just a, a church service a week or a Sunday or a Tuesday night. Love, by nature, sacrifices. And so what are you willing to lay down for the sake of the lost? You know, a good great way to begin thinking about that is to ask yourself, man, how can I leverage everything I have for the sake of the spread of the gospel? You know, my limited experience, other than sin, you can use everything in your life for the glory of God and for the spread of his fame. You know, think about your gifts and your talents, like what you're good at, right? How can you use those? What else do you have? A car, maybe? A house? An apartment? A dorm room? How can you use those things? Money, man, that's a big one, right? How can you leverage your money? How can you give? How can you, what person needs it or what organization needs it that will use it to spread the gospel? Time, man, if you've got extra time, which nobody thinks they do, but you do. If you change your priorities, if you've got extra time, how can you leverage it? You know, it takes sacrifice to, those, to, to take those things and use them for the sake of someone else. And that's only a result of love. What takes us to a whole different level is that we're called to do this for people that, you know, may never come to know Christ, right? We're not called to just convert people, but we're called to love and hope that the door opens. So I want to ask you tonight, when was the last time following Jesus cost you anything? When was the last time following Jesus cost you anything? That's a question I've been asking myself a lot recently. And it is a question that will wake you up. When was the last time following Jesus cost you anything? Is someone's salvation worth an awkward conversation? 
Is it worth dinner at your house? Is it worth a few extra dollars, a car ride? You know, a good change of perspective that I think helps with this too is instead of considering it a cost, going a step further and considering it an investment, right? Like, yes, like it's costing you something, but whatever you're sacrificing isn't just thrown away, right? It comes with a return, either relational equity with a person or a conversation that begins, treasure in heaven, right? You know, I hear people say sometimes like, man, it is so expensive to live, right? I got all these bills I got to pay, right? Anybody been there before? Like, man, well, I got to pay all these bills. Like, it's so expensive to live. And my thought has always been like, yeah, you know, it is. Like, I get it, sure. But if you want the lights on in your house, or if you want gas in your car, or if you want food on the table, you are going to have to pay those things in order to have the life that you want to have, right? Is it going to cost? Yes. But it's not just a cost. It's an investment. Are you getting something in return when you pay your bills? Lights, gas, food, right? Yes, it's a cost, but it's an investment. And sometimes that something in return can lead to somebody coming to know Christ, which I think we'd all agree is worth the cost. You know, the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross was an investment in us. And the return for him was the, the glory of his, of his name reaching the world and his children coming back into a relationship with him. And he found that worth the cost. Let's keep reading. This is the last part, John three sixteen. This is where it'll get interesting. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so the result of God's love, the result of God's sacrifice, that whoever believes, whoever has faith in Jesus, should not perish, that whoever believes in Jesus has been ransomed and rescued and set free from their sin, set free from their condemnation, set free from hell, and in place of all of that has been given eternal life, been given a relationship with God forever. So God's love led to God's sacrifice, which led to our eternal life. And to take that a step further, your love for an unbeliever, for the lost, that leads to your sacrifice can lead them to faith in the one that will give them eternal life. Is that going to be the, you know, the case for every lost person? No. But the ones that do respond, man, their eternity's changed forever. And so here in this, we see this, this heaven and hell picture appear in this verse. You can put it back up there. Sorry, thank you. So, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, right? And so the belief is what makes the difference. If there's no belief, the reason that Jesus came was that because perishing was the alternative. Does that make sense? Jesus came so that none should perish, right? And so we see this heaven and hell picture appear in this verse. Belief in Jesus rescues us from hell, sends us to heaven, right? And we can tell from this verse that belief is what makes that difference. And so as we look around at a world that is in need of Jesus. The reality of hell should motivate us to share our faith. And oftentimes, the reason hell doesn't motivate us is because its reality hasn't moved us. You know, we have dwindled down the reality of hell or dwindled down the reality of eternal separation from God when, you know, where people don't even know if it's true anymore, right? Oh, maybe it's not eternal. Or maybe, you know, it's just not that bad. Or maybe when Jesus said lake of fire or sulfur, those are just symbols for something. David Platt, who I mentioned last week in his book, Follow Me, he says, when he's, he's talking about these symbols, like, oh, maybe they're just symbols, lake of fire and sulfur. He said, even if they are symbols for something, whatever they're symbols for cannot be good, right? It's not a summer vacation, okay? And so as Christians, 
You know, we sit back and we watch as the world around us drifts into eternal separation from God. And I don't want to get hellfire and brimstone on you tonight, but it's real. You know, it's a place that, like, the longer you're there, you're nowhere closer to the end than when you first began. And it's a place of eternal torment and anguish and separation from God. And according to one old school preacher named Thomas Watson, he said it's a place where people are always dying but are never dead. Hell is real. But there is good news. So is heaven. There is a better way. And we have been commissioned to make known that better way so that none should perish but all would have everlasting life. And so it is the most loving thing that you can do to spiritually pull people out of the street and tell them of this better way. And the book of Jude actually puts it more literally, telling us to snatch people out of the fire. You know, like we said last week, if we believe the gospel is not just true for us, but just true, then it changes the way we approach sharing our faith. And so if we believe the gospel is true, then our heart should break for those who are lost. It should break enough to where it beckons us to do something about it. You know, I think as Christians, we have, sit around, we have sat around and twiddled our thumbs for too long, thinking that because, man, we're in the United States, and so the majority of people are saved and the need isn't there, where you find yourself is a much larger mission field than you realize. And sharing the truth of the gospel with them is the most loving thing that you can do. Here's one last thing for you to think about. This is a question for you. If God answered every prayer that you prayed in the last week, how many new people would have come to faith in Jesus? If God would have answered every prayer that you prayed in the last week, how many new people would have come to faith in Jesus? You know, the more you pray for the lost, the more you love the lost. And so will you come to love the lost enough to tell them about Jesus, about the better way? Is it worth the sacrifice? God says you were. And he says everyone else is as well. Last week we wrote down the name of a, a person that, that we wanted to talk to about Jesus this month or, uh, or, a, or a location where we wanted to, that we frequent and we want to maybe start a conversation there about Jesus. And if you weren't here last week, you can, I mean, you can do that at any point, right? Think of a name, think of a place. And so my challenge for you this week is to first take that name and start praying over it for that person, for that place, and asking God to open doors or open conversations and opportunities to share with them the love of Christ. And to take that a step further, maybe this week, sacrifice something for them. Maybe buy them lunch or coffee. Invite them over. Send them a text. Show them that you love them. And if you do that, I think you're going to have an amazing story sometime soon of God using you to make him a little bit more known and make your world a little bit more brighter. So, if you would, go ahead and stand with me. After a message like tonight, I do want to make it clear that if you have never made that decision to follow Jesus and to put your trust in him, tonight can be that night. Romans says, how are they going to believe if they haven't heard? Tonight you've heard. You can trust Jesus as your Savior tonight if you have not done so. And so I would love to talk to you about that after service and we're about to wrap up as soon as I pray. I just wanted to throw that out there. If you want to have that conversation, we can. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you so much for this story of, uh, or this, this, uh, this quote from you. God, it says that you loved us so much that you sent your son 
so that none should perish, but all could have et- eternal life and everlasting life. And God, So God, we thank you for that. We thank you for the blood that saved us and ransomed us and rescued us. God, we thank you for the resurrection. God, because of that, we can celebrate and know that our salvation is secure and that you have power over death, hell, and the grave. So God, we trust again in that tonight. And God, for, for those of us who, who are saved, who are believers, God, because we are saved, we are sent. And so God, I pray for boldness. I pray for, for courage, God, as we walk out of here tonight, that, that we would have uh, the, the, the gall, that we would have the boldness, and we would have the, the strength to start conversations, to, to go to these places that we frequent and, and talk about you. And, and God, I pray for the, the names that have been written down, God, that the conversations would start there and doors would open and opportunities would, would come up. And for anybody in here tonight that has not made Jesus Lord of their life, God, I pray that they would. God, there's no question if you're Lord. God, it's just whether or not we're submitting to it. And so, God, I pray that, we, that anybody in here that may need to do that, God, that they would. And they walk out of here, God, with it, a different eternity. So, God, we trust you with that. In Jesus' name, we all said together, amen. Awesome.